Hello and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. This is episode 27B on Friday, July 30th, 2021. It is the last episode of July. And I will go ahead and say now this is probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. A, because it's been kind of a quiet week in the industry, and B, because I have a very busy day and weekend ahead of me. So I am not rushing through this, but I am doing a bit of a shorter um, podcast format than I may usually do. And I've recently gotten into doing, you know, hour half plus episodes, so... I feel like it's 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 okay sometimes to take a little bit of a break on how long the podcast episodes go and do some shorter ones. That being said, this is going to be a primarily comic book focused podcast episode, focusing mostly on the books that came out this past week. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff that I'm excited to talk about, a fair amount of stuff that was good but not fantastic, um, but there's a number of things that I'm going to be discussing, and that will be taking up the bulk of the episode. After we go over all of that, though, I do have a number of uh, rumors and news for that segment there, um, and it'll it'll be some comics news, some... MCU news, some MCU rumors, and some DCEU, if that's still what we're calling it, news as well. Um, a lot of it is stuff that we've kind of already known about that's just kind of being rehashed, so that's why I'm I'm thinking this is probably going to be a little bit of a shorter episode than usual, which is fine. And we'll have plenty to talk about in the next couple of weeks as we're coming up closer to What If on August, I want to say 11th? Yes, it'll be August 11th. Um, so we will be discussing what if starting on the 13th of August in about two, three weeks, three weeks. Wow. Um, and aside from that, I don't have any other, um, comic book visual properties like, uh, TV shows or movies that are, I'm planning on discussing until then, besides the Bad Batch as that continues to go on on Fridays. As usual, I have not seen today's episode yet, but I will be discussing that on Monday as I usually do. So you can find me online if you uh, enjoy the podcast. You can find me on YouTube is probably the best the best way to get a good look at my general stuff I've got going on because I do post this podcast to YouTube as well as most other places podcast stream. And on YouTube, I also have figure review videos. I'm hoping to get some more of those done soon so I can post some more videos and not just the podcast episodes on that page. You can also find me on Instagram. It is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have the comics. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. You can find links to everywhere the podcast streams as well as to a number of things that I oh got over a year of writing that I did. Um, on the site that is all comic book related prior to starting the podcast. And now I primarily just focus on the podcast, uh, what I would be writing in the past. So, uh, and reading orders for favorite characters, things like that. And you can also find a link to my podcast Patreon program. Uh, I did sign up for Patreon uh, for anybody who would like to completely voluntarily fiscally support the podcast anytime that I can spend, um, not working a traditional job is more time that I can spend working on the podcast and adding more material and making it interesting. Um, so if you have any interest in financially supporting the podcast, which is completely voluntary and not at all um, something that will ever be necessary to listen to the podcast, um, you can do that. Just look up Sensational She Geek on Patreon and you can put in whatever amount of 
uh, money per month, you feel like the podcast may be worth to you, if it's worth the price of a comic book a month, a streaming service, a book, whatever it may be, um, I appreciate any amount that you were willing to donate each month uh, to the podcast so that I can keep it up and running better than ever. And if you can't, if you if you do not wish to donate fiscally or financially, uh, the best way to support the podcast would be to share it with people who you think would like it, and um, would also share it with people who they know, and do the the whole thing. You know, like, subscribe, comment, rate, vote, whatever it is that you can do on whatever platform you listen to it. Go ahead and do that and share it with the people who you may think also would enjoy it. And that will be the best way to support the podcast besides the Patreon program. And I thank you, of course, as usual, um, for any amount of podcast support that you do. If you're, Even if it's just sitting around occasionally listening to it, I appreciate all of my listeners. Um, I know you're there. You're very quiet. <laughs> Uh, but hopefully at some point in the future we can have a community that is interactive. Um, and that is part of why I set up the Patreon. So potentially in the future, that can be more of a interactive community of listeners and like-minded people. As this is a bit of a shorter episode that I'm planning here, we're going to go ahead and kick things off with the comic book picklist. I have chosen to do things chronologically as opposed to in order of favoritism. And there are 14 comics from this comic book week, which was the 28th for all comics and 27th for DC comics because they release on Tuesdays now. Fun stuff. Um, and I chronologically, we'll be going through them in this order in various lengths of discussion. Some of these I'm going to talk about a lot more than others, while some are going to be quite brief. So we have Sweet Paprika number one, Barbaric number two, Batman Reptilian number two, Made in Korea number three, The Mighty Valkyries number four, Beta Ray Bill number five, Harley Quinn number five, Sonya Versal number six, Eternals number six, Black Cat number eight, Black Widow number nine, Strange Adventures number 11, Cable number 12, and Daredevil number 32. Starting things off with Sweet Paprika number one, I have to admit I did spend a fair amount of time kind of shit-talking this series before it came out. Um, I, I, I've seen... It is, okay, this project is entirely by Berka Andolfo. She writes it, she draws it. It is her OC characters, or OC characters is redundant. It is her original characters that she herself has created, um, and it's funky. <laughs> she def You can definitely get a lot of her personal writing style and her personality out of this. Um, I would say to preface- ow, to, to my elbow on the table- to preface the discussion we're gonna have here about this, um, no one under 18, please. Uh, I, I try to normally- it's not gonna be because of cussing, um, which I sometimes do do on this podcast. <laughs> do do. Um, I'm almost 30 and it's <laughs> humor. Um, but this episode is going to have a lot more sexual context because of specifically Sweet Paprika. Uh, and since we're starting off with that, I'll just say that now. This particular episode, definitely not for anyone under the age of 18. Thank you and goodbye. Um, now we can kind of continue. Um, so Mirka Andolfo is a pervert, and I mean that in the positive way. Um... <laughs> I feel like in society, the past decade or so, really the past like five years maybe, um, it has become somewhat n uh, normalized to 
um, be a bit more open about your sexuality and your sexual life. Um, I, I would, I think maybe a better way of saying that is the Protestant constraints of the U.S. that has been really strongly upholding the backbone of this, frankly, very religious country. Um, it has caused a lot of um, repression, <laughs> especially when it comes to sexual things. And that's not, this is not me saying, oh, it's big, some, it's some big conspiracy. This is facts, okay? This is, we are a society that loves to sexually repress our children and etc. people. Um, so when you come across comics like this, when I come across comics like this, um, I usually get a, get a kick out of it. Um, the reason that I was kind of balking, balking at the idea of picking up Sweet Paprika before it came out was because, as I think I've mentioned before, the design of the character Paprika, um, it kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies, <laughs> makes my skin crawl in a very uncomfortable way. <laughs> um, and it, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. I, I, the the weird proportions of her body and her parts <laughs> weren't weren't as unsettling to me in this comic as a lot of Mercandolfo's like stuff that she posts for fun because Paprika has been a character that she's had around and has been drawing for her own stuff for a very long time. Um, and I also, while I'm thinking about it, I also think that Sweet Paprika has already been picked up as an animated series in Italy. Um, I think I heard about that some time ago, which is pretty exciting. It means Mirka Andolfo is clearly taking off in Italy, her home country. Um, and I have no doubt that the U.S. is going to pick up with appreciation of her um, in no time or in sometime soon, because that's kind of how things go for a lot of this, that you, you get European creators um, who get big in, in over wherever they're from and then come to the U.S. and kind of pick up the U.S. culture to add into their work and kind of get popular here as well, which is great. Um, I mean, American comic culture and European comic culture is a little bit different, um, but it's, it's, it's really fun. I love how Mirka Andolfo has added her... Well, I mean, it's really all her. Her particular charm. Um... I'm not sure if this was written originally in Italian and was translated. I don't have the issue in front of me to check that, unfortunately. Um, but I really enjoyed it. What it came down to was I really enjoyed it. And to be completely honest, I did pick up two copies. <laughs> um, it was really cute. One of the girls at the comic shop I go to was very excited. She apparently is a huge fan of Mirka Andolfo and the series coming out. And that's, I, I really have to appreciate that because if you haven't gathered that, Sweet Paprika is very much a series that is pro-female sexuality. Um, and so I really enjoy running into other women who like these kinds of topics, like sex criminals. If you read the comic Sex Criminals, Sweet Paprika has a lot of similarities. Um, definitely totally different stories for very obvious reasons. But the unashamed sexuality and really normalcy of how, you know, they are with their bodies and their desires and things 
is so nice to see. <laughs> it goes back to that whole U.S. repression thing. Really, it's probably, I'm sure it's worldwide, but it's particularly bad here in the U.S. And we and a lot of us refuse to even admit that. Um, but it, it's it's very nice to see, um, to, have, to have this outlet, I suppose. Um, and as for the actual plot of Sweet Paprika... I had kind of mentioned it was like a office scenario, a CEO thing. It's 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 all angels and demons. I wasn't really sure how that was going to work going into it. Paprika is a little devil girl. Uh, she has horns. Her parents have horns. Um, and then there's the devils who have the wings and the or the angels who have the wings and the halos. Um, and and Paprika's you know the little devil tail and stuff. So what what it's about is this world, that's just how things are. Um, and she is like the CEO of this company. She's really, really good at everything and basically doesn't have a life outside of her work because she um, <laughs> she's all about efficiency. And this is something that I, I, I chuckled through this because I can kind of relate to like feeling like... Um, like your job kind of takes over your life and you don't have time for anything else um and the idea of having to go on dates and stuff like that just ends up being like an exhausting thing to think about because you have such a not chaotic necessarily but such a busy life um with work and whatever else is going on so it was kind of it was it's kind of fun to be able to relate to it in that way but she's she uh she doesn't have a life outside of the office at all you know she she has like fantasies about you know, delivery boys and stuff like that, but she doesn't act on them. She just thinks about it and then gets herself off because it's more efficient, which I thought was pretty funny. The, uh, it kind of fit the, the, the character of, um, the CEO who kind of has got it all, but more like the CEO who was just like, I don't have time to fuck around. We're just going to get to it, <laughs> take care of ourselves. I thought that was pretty funny. Very explicit art. Um, you do not see her demon parts. You see a lot of nipples. Um, I don't think any of them did not have shirts on them, but you see like, oh no, you did, you did, you did see a lot of naked nipples. That is true. Um, but I don't think you saw any like vagina, <laughs> although you, you do get a couple of close-ups of her hand down her own pants and you just see like the hand under her underwear. The It's, it's very explicit, but. Um, it was really fun. And then, of course, there's the character of Dill, who is the, uh, love interest, or will be the love interest at one point. And he's an angel, and he's, like, really cocky and, like, loves sex and loves love and just loves everybody and just wants everybody to, to get with him and have a great time with him. And, and she, you know, they, they bump heads, or she rather bumps heads with him, and he's just like, hey, girl, let's do this. And she says no, you're horrible, and um, obviously that's going to change, and they'll end up in a relationship, I am sure. But also something that surprised me about this first issue is that it contained a lot of heart. It wasn't just about this um, pent-up, horny office devil girl who fantasizes about the men in her life, or, you know, the men that she sees throughout her day, and goes home and thinks about it for until she gets off. It's there was a lot more to it. And then how the issue ends is actually she gets a call from her mother and her father seems to be in the hospital. Um, so there's going to be more to the story than just, 
you know, sex, love, and rock and roll, or whatever you want to say. Um, there's more to it than that, which is great. And I am going to pick up the second issue. I never would have guessed that I would be saying that, but I am. Uh, the covers that I got, in case you're curious, there were a lot of really good covers. I believe there were six in total for issue number one. Uh, the two that I got were the Peach Romoko and the Art Germ covers. I my comic shop, they they uh, they get a bunch of Peach Romoko covers and they all they offer them to me always. So even if it's not something on my pull list, they offer me Peach Romoko covers because they know that I'm a sucker of an art collector and often buy things that I don't read just because I collect the art that's on the cover. <sighs> yeah, it's expensive sometimes, but you know. Anyway, uh, so Super Preacher number one, really enjoyed it, very surprised by it, um, and completely, honestly, completely thrilled with Mirka Andolfo's voice, how she is able to write and narrate. Um, clearly she has, like, an excellent grasp over the character of Paprika and who she is and how she is and what she is and what she likes. It it's very clearly characterized, um... And on, it just it just makes me excited to see how they're gonna change, how the various characters are gonna change by the end. Barbaric number two was another cool one I got. Uh, the first issue it was one of those indie comics where a couple of pages in, I knew right away that it was gonna be one that I'm in for the long haul. Um, the first issue was excellent kickoff. The second issue had a little bit more. F <sighs> Where the first issue told its backstory very elegantly, the second issue kind of kind of had to force it a little bit more to fit it into the plot, but it, it did end up working. And they had a couple of really profound moments um, among the among the horror and the um, gore or whatever in this comic. There's this moment where the axe, which can talk, is telling. Um, the barbarian reminding him of some story of their past um, and he turns it into a metaphor about life and <laughs> how they had dumped this guy uh, who tried to kill them into a bucket full of poisonous snakes and he got stabbed with not stabbed but like he got bit so many times uh, on his neck or whatever that the poison like filled up his head and like exploded out the side <laughs> and it's like very gruesome but the point of it was Sometimes if you let the bad stuff get to you so much, you'll just, it'll just, you know, it'll just all build up until it bursts. <laughs> so it was a great metaphor. It's very profound, but incredibly gruesome. <laughs> and that's, 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 I think, a good example of what this comic is like. It has these moments of like, wow, that's amazing. I love this. But at the same time, holy shit, dude, did that just happen? <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, we got a lot of the witch's backstory in this. It's pretty generic witch stuff taken in by super religious people after having a rough childhood because she was magical from a young age. Nobody wanted her. And then was raised by this cult who basically now want her dead. And that's part of what they're all tied up in. So, um, she's still a really cool character. I did get, um... I did not realize they were going to be doing this, but it is Vault, and I guess Vault is doing their, like, undressed covers, which is, like, Sex Criminals did their triple X covers, um, or NSFW, whatever they were called, um, and a few others from Boom have done that as well, um, I know Faithless did that for a couple issues also, 
uh, and Money Shot. I have the Jen Bartell undress cover. This one was by Tim Seeley, and it featured The Witch. Um, not nothing like incredibly NSFW. If you've seen the Jen Bartell Money Shot one, it's nothing like that. It's just her disrobing, and you see a little butt cheek and a little titty. Um, and she's looking back very, you know, cute and smiling. Um, so it's a cute little cover. It's a version variant. I'm always surprised when I get these version variants that are just regular issue price because I'm always stuck in the mindset that if it's a version variant, it doesn't have trade dress, doesn't have minimal dress, nothing like that, it's going to be worth a lot more. But I guess at least with some of these indie people, indie people, indie publishers, they have kind of backed away from making the virgin covers their number one pricey items and just started doing like a more variety of what's an incentive cover and whatnot. So that's all good. Um, and I really, I really, I'm still digging barbaric. I don't know how many issues it's going to be total, but I know that this third issue that's going to be coming up, I guess next month, um, that is going to be the end of this first arc. And then there's going to be a second arc after that at some point. I'm not sure when, but it, it will not just be three issues. Batman Reptilian, we're, it's, it's, uh, where the first issue was very much, um, symbolic and metaphorical on various points, this issue, the second issue, was extremely, um, literal. <laughs> I, I was kind of under the impression on the first issue that the monster they were after isn't actually a being, but possibly some kind of ethereal spirit making them all go crazy, um, on the one hand, yes, that was somewhat correct because it did terrify them all into, like, trying to kill each other. Um, but then we get it confirmed by a number of people actually in this issue. It is a physical being that does do the violence itself. Um, it seemed to have started the violence at that um, Batman villains meeting and that they talked about in the last issue because they were all terrified of what was going on. Uh, but here we get a lot more into um, the creature, what it is potentially, or rather what it seems to look like because we don't know what it is yet. Um, all we're getting is descriptions and assumptions from people who witnessed it. Uh, we have a number of deaths at this point. The back of the issue listed Mr. Freeze as dead, um, but I thought that he was he was okay. I thought Batman saved him, but maybe he just died of all their other causes. Uh, Ivy is also apparently dead. Uh, she was scalped by it, which is an interesting thing. Um, a lot of the I, I got I gotta wonder if it's a bit sexist because a lot of the um, the characters who died were killed by the monster were like gutted and um, it was tasting them. It's specifically what they all kind of come to the conclusion as it tastes them and then it doesn't care about it anymore. That's kind of what I understand them to be having said about it. Um, so it would just like burst into the room and just kind of like took a bite out of everybody and left. Why did it scalp Ivy then? <laughs> It's clearly here to taste them. Scalping somebody is not do anything for food or anything. And she also happens to be the only woman in this group. Um, it just it hit me as a little bit weird. And it's it's a very disappointing, honestly, feeling to be super, super into a series and then come across something like that that just hits you very, very wrong. Um, not a big fan of that, but maybe... 
maybe we'll find something else about it. That was another thing that was kind of confusing is the back of the issue does have her crossed off as if she is dead, but then right next to that image, it says scalped stable condition. So is she alive? They just took her off the playing board is what that is? I, if, if she's alive, the scalping is not really problematic, but I don't know. I just don't understand. It goes through and it tastes the guts of everybody and then it scalps Ivy. <laughs> that just doesn't really make sense. Um, but from what I've kind of been able to guess from future solicitations is that this is either a... Um, this is either a mother creature or a child looking for its mother creature. Um, because in the end of this issue, we do get Batman finding estrogen in the penguin's blood. He took blood from the penguin, who was one of the only survivors from one of these incidents. Um, and he, you know, to put it under a microscope and all that, and he found estrogen in the blood, meaning whatever attacked him had estrogen around it, which makes me think it's the mother. Um, the reason that I had the whole idea about the child mother aspect of this at all is because in the solicitation for issue, I want to say five, it says that, um, what the creature is really after is its mother. So either the mother is doing all of this damage and that's why the estrogen is there or it's a newborn and it's leaking estrogen. I don't know. That's not a thing. It's comics though. So can you really say that? Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely up to the mystery. Um, it's definitely up to the horror and the sci-fi, um, but hasn't really gone too far with the symbolism and all that. Uh, the last issue had a lot more, I feel like, beauty among the depiction of Batman. Uh, this issue had a lot more clarity to his face. You have Bruce's face in several frames, but then you also get, you know, the, the bottom half of Batman's face when he's in his suit and cowl. Um, and uh, Liam Sharp drew that all very, very clearly where the last issue, he was much more of a specter type character. Um, so I'm wondering if that has to do with this having been a much more focused on Batman uh, doing the finding of things or if it was something else or if that's just like a random thing we're just I'm just having to notice now it could be unrelated but it, I thought it was cool made in Korea number three um <laughs> this is I'm, I'm not sure I'm, I'm not I'm not sure where we're going with this I'm not gonna lie um on the one hand we have the plot of the robot child who has made friends with these two older boys who are teaching her to do illegal things like shoot fake or shoot um, made up guns. They like 3D printed a gun or something. Um, and they gave her gloves to beat bricks and to see how strong she is. And oh, big surprise, they are actually training her to rob a bank. So that also happens in this issue. So that's on one side of things. They have that not good stuff happening. On the other side of things are her parents and the man who created her as this special little robot, which we're still not really sure why she's special. Um, but he's still after her. He manages to, um, to speak with the family again. The parents does not manage to swindle them out of their robot child. <laughs> Um, but it's, it, I'm not really sure what the point here is now. Uh, very, very curious, but, um, not really sure where it's going to go, to be honest. That's fine. 
Um, I just hope it's not kind of petering off, you know? That's my concern. The Mighty Valkyries number four was completely fantastic. I have been praising the crap out of this series. I believe it only has the one more issue. Um, a lot of, a lot of stuff here. We have Hela finally finds Carnilla and the gods that she made and is brutally furious. Um, she is the queen of hell of this reign, realm that they're in and she has been tricked by her own wife. Um, and she kills her. It's pretty brutal. I gotta admit, she, she brings up the earth of hell and a bunch of spikes shooting out of the ground and kills Carnilla with one of them. So that's, that's pretty dark. <laughs> uh, we have Jane meeting Runa, I, I think for the first time. Um, if not for the first time, then like, no, not, it's not the first time they met before. They met when she took Runa out of that place that she was. Um, they're meeting in the, in the modern world for the first time and she's as Jane, um, and they have a nice little chat and there's this funny thing of, um, I don't remember the woman's name. I want to say Sarah or something like that. She had dated uh, a couple of superheroines in the past and she's part of that support group that Jane had been a part of for people who are in relationships of any kind with superheroes, you know, mortals being in relationship with them, whatever you want to call it, unpowered people. And she has this moment where she flirts with Runa and Runa like picks up on it really quick and flirts back and tries to get a date with her insisting, oh no, I'm not a superhero. You don't have to worry about that. Date me. <laughs> um, so that's pretty funny. Runa is ready to jump straight into the dating life after having come back to the real world. Um, on the more side of things, more being the double soul child of Loki, uh, who is sometimes a wolf and sometimes a man, and there are two beings inside of its body. Um, they are apparently, they're revealed as being um, some kind of like destructor of the world who is foretold to come. And that must have to do with why Hela wants him dead or wants them dead, um, which she gave Craven the tooth, a spear made from the tooth of the serpent of Midgard. Or the Midgard Serpent, and he goes and he does successfully stab Morth the chest here. I believe Moore is dead. I'm sorry, I don't think Moore is coming back. Um, and at that time, Hela in Hell um, is <laughs> approached by the skeleton of the Midgard dragon itself, who is saying that she has to be judged for her deeds now. So, um, a lot of stuff going on. Oh, and the and the parents of the babies, that was something else. The three babies that were stolen from their mother uh, just prior to her giving birth, basically. Um, we, we meet the parents, both parents, and it's disturbing, um, heartbreaking, really, how they both are falling apart and a husband is trying to hold it together for the wife, but he himself is just getting eaten alive by grief and it's 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 killing their relationship and it's heartbreaking to see but it was it's it was very very well written um and makes me excited to kind of see what what might happen um with these two if if, if they're going to become connected with the children or what because we know Jane is connected with the children she was uh Carnilla tied her like soul to them or something so that she 
can't help but be their protector. Um, so with all the stuff that's going on with Hell and with Hella, um, killing Carnilla and everything like that, Jane becomes aware of it, and she is now headed to Hell to save the babies. Um, and that will probably be the point where she figures out they're stolen from the mother. It was Carnilla. Carnilla is dead. Got to tell the mother what happened. Whatever it's going to be, she'll be finally getting to that point in the last issue. I'm sad this is ending, but I honestly, I don't think they're doing anything else with the Valkyries anytime soon, but um, I would not be against it. This was, this has been a fantastic read. Beta Ray Bill number five was the final issue of Daniel Warren Johnson's Beta Ray Bill saga. Very, very good issue for a number of reasons. Everybody got their moment to shine here. Um, obviously, Bill being Bill, it was he was everywhere. Um, we had Scuttlebutt and good old what's-his-name with the guns who had died. Um, oh, you know, the guy who was in um, Ragnarok. I'm just blanking on names right now. I'm sorry. But um, he, he loves his guns. So Scuttlebutt manages to turn her entire ship into a giant gun and that's how they take um they take Surtur out is they is, is she has him she makes a tiny little like revolver handle at the end of her and the other end is a massive cannon basically and so he like has a tear form in his eye because this is like the biggest gun he's ever used and he's so excited and, and he uses her, a scuttlebutt to shoot a hole through Surtur's chest. Not gonna kill him, but at that point, Beta Ray Bill actually takes the sword that he was here to win, chops off Surtur's head, and officially becomes the bearer of the sword. And to make things better, I guess, it does what he wanted it to do and turns him back into his Corbinite form as opposed to the big, large, horse-faced Beta Ray Bill. Um, Pip got his moment as well. Um, he was he did something and then got stabbed through the chest by Surtur. Uh, he was pretty much a goner, but they did manage to save him because Scuttlebutt does have incredible medical facilities, so they were able to save Pip the troll. Everybody survives in the end. Um, obviously, what's his name with the guns was dead before all this, so the Valkyries of old, who themselves are deceased, come to take him back with them to Valhalla. And they do so, and it is a great goodbye. And then the issue ends with, um, the series ends with Beta Ray Bill kind of giving uh, Pip the Troll a rundown of everything that happened in his Corbinite form, and he looks in the mirror, and, and Pip's like, oh, you got everything you wanted. And he looks in the mirror, and he sees the horse face looking back at him and goes, I guess I did. And what I kind of took that as is he's not just going to be able to let go of that being a big part of who he is. Um, it's, it's still going to be that the scars are there. The mental scars are there if nothing else. Um, and that will probably take him some time to get over. And if he's still not happy with himself as a Corbinite, there is no better way to go. So he's just stuck with two forms, either of which he is not pleased with and that's terrible um, but it makes it it makes for a very um 
reflective and introspective comic. I, again, wasn't expecting so much heart in this Beta Ray Bill series, especially coming from Daniel Warren Johnson, who is so known for his intense, um, heavy metal line work uh, in his art, and to find it with so much heart alongside it. It worked somehow. It was like a foil to the art. <laughs> or the art was a foil to the heart. I'm not really sure which way that would go. But um, they balanced each other out. And I just gotta say, Daniel Warren Johnson's art, it's like... <laughs> Don't get mad before I finish. It's a fucking mess. But it's so perfect. It, like, you look at it and it's like, for half a second, it just scribbles across a page. And then your eyes focus and you pick up on all the details that make it work. And it's almost random scribbles, but it creates a whole picture. Um, and I, I just really appreciate his art style and his writing style. Very glad that he's now been able to do miniseries at both DC and Marvel. Um, I would love to read what he's got up his sleeve for a creator-owned comic and something from the indie side of things, perhaps, would be... I can only imagine really stellar. This was canon, whereas Wonder Woman Dead Earth was not canon. Um, so I'm not sure where, where we will be seeing Beta Ray Bill next. I have to guess Thor. Um, but who knows? I hope that we see much more of Daniel Warren Johnson at any publisher, really, in the future. Harley Quinn number five continued to be really, really good. Uh, a bit more of a sleeper episode since it episode issue since it did seem to be kind of wrapping up what the first four have been leading to. Um, it's not completely solved, but it is. It's getting a little bit more out of the water, and that's great. Um, I'm still loving Stephanie Phillips writing Harley Quinn for what was a little bit of a snooze issue because it I don't know it just kind of felt that way to me. It was still a lot of fun. <laughs> Um, even if what's happening in the issue is kind of dull, she writes Harley's, um, everything that comes from Harley, her narration and her speech to be just, it's, it's perfect for Harley. And I, I love it. And I am super excited to see the future of what she does with this, especially since we're supposed to be getting, I believe, Catwoman and Poison Ivy in this and a few issues over at Catwoman by Rom V. They are doing a Gotham City Sirens reunion so to say, uh, in a couple of issues, I believe in the October issue, around the same time in Harley Quinn, um, the October issue has a cover with Catwoman and Poison Ivy on it, as well as Harley. So I have to wonder, is that meetup or reunited, um, you know, regrouping, is that going to be featured in both series because they each have their own series? And will maybe it be in uh, Swamp Thing, since Ivy was in a couple issues of Swamp Thing very, very briefly. I don't know. But it was, um, I don't know, it's, it's exciting to think about. There's still that whole Ivy romance that hasn't really been discussed. It's very, it's been very loosely, um, brushed over and referred to. But I'm hoping if we get to that point and they do do a proper Sirens reunion, it will be very much gone over then. Also, just as a thought, what would Harley's reaction be to Queen Ivy versus one of the Ivy drones? I kind of feel like she might be horrified by it. Is that wrong for me to think that? 
with Harley going on everything she's been going on the past few years, trying to lose the dark side, I guess, I, I get the feeling she might be completely horrified by Ivy having um, kind of taken up this evil mantle and made little clones of herself. Well, okay, so we do know from the Jodie Hauser Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy six-issue series from a few years ago that Har- Ivy or Harley knows that Ivy can duplicate herself, but she, you know, kind of found this out because it was an accident when it happened the first time. Um, and that is when Ivy got pissed off at Harley for not being able to tell that she wasn't the real her and leaving. It was kind of a weird ending to that series, to be honest. Um, I feel like Hauser had a different idea for where they wanted things to go and they kind of shut her down. It was very much the vibe that it felt like reading it. But now that Ivy has kind of solidified her place as, no, I am the prime Ivy and here are all of my underling minion Ivies, um, I, I wonder how, how she'll turn out to be about that, how she'll, how she'll feel. I don't know, but I hope we find out. So Universal number six is the first issue of the second arc of Christopher Hastings' Sonya Bursal. A little bit of a snooze of an issue, to be honest. It was uh, focused around Sonya Noir and some uh, crime stories that honestly were kind of boring. Um, what was interesting about it to me is that Hell Sonya, who is the little devil Sonya who, you know, ruled Hell, she um, approaches Sonya Noir a few times magically in this in this issue, um, and then at the end, she approaches Yellow Sonia, who is one that we knew from the previous Sonia Versal issues, um, and she is planning on uh, giving her an offer or something like that. Uh, what's pretty funny about it is that Yellow Sonia like takes some blood and she puts it under a microscope because she's doing science stuff, um, and she sees that that's where she sees um, Hell Sonia pop up. It's under the microscope. Hello, we need to talk, little tiny Hell Sonia. Uh, I thought it was funny. <laughs> I'm hoping the next issues will be less of a snooze because this was a bit boring. Um, Yellow Sonia as a character does seem a bit more interesting, to be honest, so I think it'll be good. Eternals number six was the final issue of Eternals. Um, they had one really big reveal in this. We already knew who it was that brought back Thanos. We didn't really know how, and we kind of get a how. It's not really too big of a reveal, really. It's just basically he kind of just finished the connection of Thanos's genealogy to theirs so that he's more like them and can do the same kind of stuff they do. Um, the big reveal, though, <laughs> um, some years ago, the Eternals learned that they were just another, you know, notch in the story of the Celestials that didn't really mean much. And that drove them all a little bit crazy and they all killed themselves. Um, and then this is the first time that we've been back with the Eternals since then. It's been since like 2017 or something. It was a while ago. Um, so the series kind of explained that a little bit. Um, and now it's adding to their, their um, being lost, I guess, because they discover at the end of this that each time the machine resurrects any one of the Eternals, it's taking the life from a human. So throughout the whole series, Icarus, who is kind of like their Superman, he saw a vision or something that this young boy was going to die because of him. So he spends a lot of time throughout these six issues protecting the young boy. And we even get to a point 
in this last issue where you we think that it's at this point of oh this is when it would happen this is what he would die this is this would be the point that he was supposed to get killed at but he survives and so you think he's in the clear then icarus dies they have to bring icarus back through the machine and as he is brought back the bodies it's, it's very interesting the way that they said it the body is created and it's missing something and then it gets it and at the same moment icarus wakes up the boy dies so it kind of seems like it's pulling a life force from a human to give it to the Eternals to use. Um, whether or not we're going to be getting a lot more in-depth explanation into the whole philosophy of that, who knows? The next thing that's going to be Eternals related is the like Eternals Thanos Rises or whatever it is. It's going to be a one-shot, I believe, in September or October. Um, and there's also going to be a one-shot written by somebody else kind of prepping people for the movie, but not not a prequel to the movie as they also sometimes do. So big, big fun ending to this with that drop of knowledge bomb. Um, I, I'm not sure what that's going to mean for the Eternals. I'm not sure if it's going to mean anything for the Eternals at all or anytime soon, if at all, um, because they, they're, they're, they're quite background characters in the Marvel comics universe right now. So We'll, we'll just kind of have to wait and see what their future is going to be. Black Cat number eight, I gotta say again, a bit of a snooze issue. Um, but the ending of it is what got me interested. She spends much of the issue fighting Nick Fury Jr. Um, and then she ends up getting away from him. And the issue ends with her opening up one of the secret coffin-shaped boxes on this ship that she's like hijacked or whatever. And it contains Star. Star, if you are unfamiliar, is a villain created by Kelly Thompson in the Captain early on in the Captain Marvel series, actually. Uh, she was a human reporter who got trapped on this island of masochism by this ridiculous like nuclear villain guy and um ends up getting so scared for everything that she gets mad about superheroes and decides to become a villain uh, when she wakes up after being killed during that whole thing. Um, she's, she's just a villain, and she has the reality stone in her chest. That's the important part here. I have been saying for a while now that Star will probably find her end when Thanos goes looking for the Infinity Stones the next time. And he literally rips it out of her chest. Because that's where it is right now. It's stuck in her chest. Um, so the next issue of Black Cat appears to be actually Black Cat dealing with Star and the Infinity Stone in her chest. Um, so I might actually be wrong about that. And Star isn't going to die because of Thanos. She's going to be depowered because of Black Cat. I don't think Black Cat's going to kill her. I think she's going to find some other way to take the stone out of her chest. Um... But I, I I am a little bit disappointed that I don't get to see Star try and face down with Thanos. It could still happen, yeah, technically. Um, but I, I kind of doubt it. But that would have been a lot of fun to see. What's going on next in Black Cat, Infinite Destinies, I guess, is continuing. So she's trying to gather up all the Infinity Stones. The rest of the Infinite Destinies has been super boring. I'm not going to lie. It's been an absolute bore. But um, the Black Cat parts are what I'm more interested in. Now that we're getting more into that, hopefully it'll kind of pick up. 
Strange Adventures number 11. We only have one more issue of Strange Adventures. This is very exciting. Issue number 10 ended with the wallop of a reveal of Mr. Terrific writing a letter to Alana Strange informing her of the truth that her husband, Adam, the hero of Earth and Ran, actually made a deal with their enemies, the Picts, to save Ran if he will give them uh, information to take down Earth. And that would also use his daughter as, um, uh, you know, to, to, as insurance, I guess. So it's a really great, actually most of the issue, the Earth side of the issue, as opposed to the flashbacks to Ran, um, is entirely this conversation between Alana and Adam, and she is furious. I did have a brief moment as I picked up this issue that perhaps Alana is actually mad because she knew about this and is furious with him for telling anybody, but that's not what it is. That's not what it is. She was in the dark, um, and it takes a good while for her to, through a fair amount of slapping and yelling, to get Adam to admit the truth that yes, their daughter is alive, um, and she's, she, oh my gosh, Tom King does a great job of writing her fury at him. Like he, she says, you know, you watched me grieve for our daughter. And he was like, yeah, I, I did. But you know, it was all cause I knew that when she would get her back and it was all worth it and blah, blah, blah. Oh, bullshit. <laughs> um, so she is apparently orbiting Mars and Alana goes to um, tell the Justice League what's going on and he pulls his gun on her to try and get her to stop because he says, no, the Justice League are just going to go barging in and they're going to get her killed. Um, we have to do this delicately. And she's like, I don't, I don't honestly give a shit what you think anymore, Adam. You, are, you betrayed us in the highest way possible. Uh, and since he's pulled his gun on her, she being the capable woman that she is, disarms him and manages to get him shot in the stomach twice. So he might be dead. I have a feeling he's probably just going to be in very, very ill condition. Um, but I, I don't know. I can't help but wonder what are we going to have happen now? Because if he is dead, that's all, that's, that's, that's going to bring up a lot of problems with the picks, right? Cause he's supposed to be feeding them information on the wars on earth. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to wrap up, but I am um, really, I'm just, I'm just loving it. It's not Cloak and Daggers. It's more of a slowly revealed mystery um, with twists and turns and things like that. And I'm, I, this has been great. This has been so great. I know I say this all the time, but I do love Tom King's writing. Um, and this has been a, a super cool adventure and Strange Adventures, yeah. Um, and I am very excited to see how the last issue wraps up. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to come out until September. Um, for some reason, partway through the series, they went from it being monthly to being bi-monthly. Um, not sure why, but September, we will finally get the wrap-up to Strange Adventures. Cable number 12 was also a final issue. <laughs> um, I had been talking before about how I was not sure if they would be doing young Cable being on Kokoa moving forward or old man Cable. Um, it ends up, what it ends up being in this is they kind of talk us through it 
where you can feel how nobody really wants Kid Cable to go back into the past and to continue living his life the way he's meant to. Um, but they kind of talk you through why that has to happen. Um, and, and it kind of, it still kind of bums you out because, um, Phoebe or whatever her name is from the five in one come out and she's, you know, she's, and obviously they defeat Strife. So everything's fine. They kill Strife, um, with the help of like all the women and it's great. And the Phoebe's like really upset that he has to go back into the past, um, and so she leaves and then he's talking to old man cable and he's like, he wants to know like if they ever meet again, if he ever sees her again. And he tells her, uh, you, you know, you know, the rules, no, no future talk or something like that. Uh, cause this is his, him younger. They are the same person. It's, you kind of get messed up with that cause they're time travelers and it's all timey wimey, but they are the same person. Um, and, and then this was the most satisfying part of the entire wrap-up of this issue was the flash to Cable to Young Cable's future where you get to see him with Phoebe. God, is that her name? With with the... It's whichever sister it is, I think it's Phoebe. As old people, as, you know, older folks together, living together, assumedly married or something like, oh my God, that was such a great little thing. So I, I, that was, that was like the one thing that I was still kind of bummed out about is that, you know, they get a cable back and that's great. He's old man cable, blah, blah, blah. And, and young cable's going to get to go live out his life and fight strife through eternity or whatever. And, but then Phoebe just, this, their, their relationship was so beautiful and it just gets cut off. And so I think it was so, so perfect that they added that little tidbit in that, yes, they do end up together when they are much older in the future. They have a life together. And that's very a beautiful sentiment to have put in there. Um, and then the, the issue completely fi- finishes off with, um, I guess there was an extra baby. I guess it's a young cable. It's either young strife or a young cable. I think it's young cable because he's got the electric eye um, who ends up going back as a, like a, additional child to one of the parents of the mutant babies that Strife stole and they just like accept the fact that they have two kids now and they don't know why (laughs) um not sure I'm sure it was some kind of secret like (laughs) you know jab you in the ribs like hey look at this look what we did you know thing but I I I don't really get it it was just like another cable being born somebody fill me in but I like the issue a lot I'm sad that it's over I hope we get to see a lot more of Cable. This also had Deadpool in it, which was perfect because, you know, it's Jerry Duggan and Deadpool and Cable and it's just all great. Finally, we have Daredevil number 32, which I was surprised to find out is actually the last art by Mike Hawthorne for Marvel. Um, I have to assume that he's either going to be going to do DC work next or he has some indie stuff up his sleeve. That's usually what happens when a creator leaves one publisher or another somewhat publicly. Um, it's usually because they have new stuff lined up at another publisher. So hopefully we'll be seeing him around some more, but that does also mean that we're going to be getting more Marco Chichetto, 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 whichever one it is. Um, his art is just luscious. We're going to be seeing more of him on Daredevil, which is ideal in my mind. Um, this issue, gosh, it didn't have too much going on in it, did it? It was, um, 
it was it's it's the whole city of Hell's Kitchen. They're all trying. Well, it's New York, but it's the neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen is dealing with Bullseye uh, going on a murderous rampage because he's like seeing an angel that's telling him to kill people. We're not sure what that's about yet. I'd bet that it's a whole villain on itself. Um, but Electra's kind of had it with the fact that. Uh, He's killing people throughout the city and she can't seem to stop it. So she's able to track him down finally at the end of this issue. And we learn there are like seven um, of him. I'm like, <laughs> it's been a long day. But there, there's, a, there's a bunch of bullseyes now. Um, so whether that's him being duplicated or a bunch of people dressing up as a bullseye, I'm not sure. But it's not good news for anybody, especially not good news for Elektra, who is now facing down with him. We do know this will not be the end of Elektra Daredevil in it or any way. So she will continue on after this, I'm sure, brutal battle. Um, I just love Elektra Daredevil. I'm going to be so sad when that finally ends. Matt's, you know, he's he's doing stuff in prison and his, his twin brother is doing stuff as Matt out in the real world and stuff. But... Um, Electra is what's really making the series for me right now. I'm excited to see Marco Cacchetto, uh doing his his beautiful Electra hair again uh, in the next issue because I have missed that so much and he draws her so beautifully. That wraps up the comic book pick list this week. Those were um, yeah, it was, it was most stuff that I read. Um, some of it was kind of a snooze, filler issues, whatever. But for the most part, I had some really great stuff. I hope that there was something in that list that sounded interesting to you or that you enjoyed as well. If not, and if you are looking for things to read, go to your local comic book shop or whatever local comic shop you may have. Um, ask them. Tell them what you're interested in and they will be very happy to take some of your money in exchange for some comics that you will love to read. Moving on into our news and rumors segment. There's a few bits of news and a few bits of rumors. So starting off, um, Mirka Andolfo, I know I've already talked about her a fair amount due to Sweet Paprika. Um, I love her style. I love her writing style and her art style. So this is very exciting that she has been announced to be doing a Red Sonia series. It is not, as far as I can tell, the takeover of the current Red Sonia series. I don't even know if that's still going. I haven't been a fan of it. Um, but it's going to be Red Sonia by Mirka Andolfo is kind of what it's going to be called. Officially the full title. Not sure how many issues it'll be, but it seems to be just a special one-off story or, you know, a special story um, of Red Sonia going on some adventure with what looks like this young girl who has some kind of powers. Uh, with her art style being so unique and her writing style being so um, open and honest, I, I can't wait for this. I have a lot of trouble getting getting down with like canon red sonia stuff like i said the current series or whatever the most recent series was don't really care for it not really my style sonia versal though that's pretty cool <laughs> uh definitely not canon to whatever universe sonia belongs to but it's a lot of fun and i'm definitely expecting this uh murka andolfo's red sonia to be pretty much the same there's a ton of fun and wild red sonia stuff we had uh, some some Shang-Chi stuff out this week, including a featurette. I did not watch the featurette. I probably won't until after the movie comes out because I am of the... I, um, I'm of the belief that I'm gonna just, like, not 
see anything aside from like the main trailer before I see a movie because then I end up sitting there in the movie every time something from the trailer pops up my brain goes oh yeah I already saw this <laughs> and that's very distracting for me so I tend to only watch whatever the original trailer is the full trailer that gets put out uh, and then no other featurettes but it is out there if you would like to watch it also out there they have some new posters for Shang-Chi um very much in the feel of Marvel posters and due to what is on it kind of gives us a little hint that he will probably be fighting his father with probably what looks like four of the ten rings while his father uses the rest so it'll kind of be a battle over who has the full set is kind of what it seems um something that I also found kind of interesting off that poster there are, you know, power beams coming from the rings on their arms or whatever you want to call it, light from power. Um, his father's and his are different colors. I don't know if that means anything. It was just something that I saw and maybe that'd be kind of cool. That also just completely off the top of my head. They, I remember yesterday they announced, oh, they have announced a number of Marvel Legends. Uh, I did not plan on talking about this, but I just remembered it. Um, one of them I'm very excited for is Binary Captain Marvel. They only gave it one head, which is super disappointing, and it has absolutely no expression on the face. Also disappointing. Um, whatever. It's the one we're gonna get. I mean, they're, they're gonna half-ass stuff because people are gonna buy it anyway, so they're gonna continue half-assing stuff. Uh, also, they finally gave us a look at the Tigra figure, who is, for some reason... I mean, it kind of makes sense why they would make her a retro card figure as opposed to a regular box figure. However, the retro card features modern art in an outfit that does not match the outfit the figure wears. So that's kind of weird. Uh, but the thing that was what's funny, they announced um, some what if characters that they're going to be doing it for Marvel Legends as well including Zombie Cap, who I encourage you to go look at the picture of because he only has one shoe on. And I, this struck me as the funniest shit. He's got just zombie leg, zombie foot, just sticking out of his pants. I, I think it's funny. Um, moving on. <laughs> Over at the world of DC, we had some rumors some months ago that the Superman movie Michael B. Jordan is, uh, I believe, producing would be possibly related to Val Zod. Well, that was confirmed this week. Michael B. Jordan will be producing the Val Zod Superman movie and potentially starring in it as well. And if I am not mistaken, this is also the movie that is um, meant to be written and directed, I believe, by John Ridley, who has already won Oscars, well, a Oscar for writing 12 Years a Slave. Um, and has been doing some really remarkable stuff at DC and is starting to do some stuff at Marvel as well. So he's really out there um, and he's doing some incredible stuff. He's going to be a big name in the comics media world for a while, I think. Uh, lots of relief coming from the crowd at this announcement being officially confirmed. Many people were concerned that they were going to be doing Clark Kent, but just as a black man. It's kind of a funny topic <laughs> because on the one hand, it's a space alien movie. It doesn't matter. Who cares what color his skin is? But on the other hand, you have established black super, well, I should say black Kryptonians. Why not just use those instead of making a character black who's normally not? If I hope that under makes sense what I'm saying. There's, there's nothing wrong with if they did decide to make Superman black necessarily. Well, nothing wrong with that. Um, 
it would just be a disservice to the black Kryptonians that already did exist. So probably all for the better that they're deciding to do with Balzad. I don't honestly know how I would feel about Michael B. Jordan playing him. He's he's pretty solid, but I, I've kind of fallen into, or he's kind of fallen into the pit for me of every time I see him on a movie now, I kind of just recognize him as himself. Similarly to what like Johnny Depp has done and like as a couple other actors who were like they don't play characters they play themselves um and while i don't really think he's he plays himself in a lot of stuff um i i just get i don't know i i would kind of like to see someone else get a chance at uh, a legendary black superhero he's he's had his superhero or rather villain run and he may be back for black panther too i if um if the rumor is true that they're going to put uh, Madame Slay in there and Madame Slay in the comics revives King, uh, Kingpin, Killmonger, <laughs> Kingpin, that's not right. He, she revives Killmonger. So potentially Killmonger could come back to Black Panther. Um, and I would prefer to see somebody else. If he's already done his superhero movie stuff, I'd rather see somebody else do it. But that's just me. If they can't find anybody else, I'm sure he'll be just fine. And finally, for the rumor that we have today, I have one rumor. Um, not very interesting rumor either, because we've been getting a lot of this kind of stuff out of the woodworks. There are rumors that Kingpin will appear in Spider-Man No Way Home, which is, of course, Spider-Man 4 coming out in December. Um, that would be cool, first of all, especially if it's played by if they're played by Vincent D'Onofrio, who was the Daredevil Kingpin. I don't... I don't think they could make a better kingpin than him. Really, he 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 was unbelievably good. <laughs> um, and now every time that I read the kingpin in the comics, I kind of relate that to Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> just because he he did make such such a positive impression as that character. So unsure about that. Um, there were also the rumors in the past about Matt Murdock showing up in No Way Home. Um, all those other villains, Green Goblin, we know Electro's going to be in it, um, but Kingpin is one, you know, Green Goblin, less a fan of him reappearing, but Kingpin, especially, especially Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin, oh buddy, oh my gosh, could you imagine him aside, aside across from Tom Holland's Spider-Man, you get this very, like, petite, lithe Spider-Man across from this big, lumbering, like, dude. It's just like the comics. It's perfect. Um, I just think that would be super sick if, the, if it was Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, otherwise, eh, we'll, we'll see if it, what it pans out to be, if it pans out to be anything. And I have to say, guys, that wraps up today's episode. I apologize if you were hoping this would be longer. I have kind of gotten in the habit of doing over hour and a half episodes, and this one's going to be just over an hour, I think. So a little bit of a break for everybody. <laughs> a lot heavier on the comic talk than the pop culture talk, but uh, it's just kind of what happens sometimes. And as we do this twice a week, it's going to, this is going to happen every now and then. Um, that wraps up this week's episode. We will be back uh, this coming Monday, July 2nd. Oh God, I said July August 2nd. It's August. Shit. <laughs> uh, we'll be back August 2nd, 2021 for episode 28A, where we'll be discussing comic book pull lists for that week, the third and the fourth, 
as well as today's episode of Star Wars The Bad Batch, and any other kind of news and pop culture, comics culture, rumors and things that do pop up in the woodworks between now and then. We're kind of low on the news today, but that just means that we're probably going to get a lot more news next time. So stick around for another episode and you may find something interesting. Um, it's Friday. It's going to be the weekend. Um, if you have your weekend off, I hope you have a nice time. If you're working over the weekend, I hope you find some time to have some enjoyment for yourself. Whatever is going on in your day, I hope you have um, something positive that happens that you can kind of hold on to as a good thing that happens today. Um, do try and stay cool and stay hydrated or warm if you're in a part of the world that is cold. I am not, so I'm excited to do my best to stay cool. Going out to a pub tonight. I said pub. Going out to a brewery tonight with some friends, so that's going to be pretty exciting. Let me know what you do with your weekends. People don't really interact with me on here. I kind of like them too. It's a community of like-minded people. Talk to me, folks. (laughs) Have a great weekend. Um... Have a happy life, don't be a dick, and stay sweaty about comics.